0: So, I'm
1: recording now.
0: Back when I was a student, the internet was like just kind of a thing.
1: And how influential this really is, if you can't remember the name.
0: It's not just a pretty book of pretty pictures. Welcome to the Culinary Now podcast, a food pod designed to dive deeper into the topics surrounding our industry. I'm Jamie.
1: And I'm Matt. And this is our first ever top five cookbook episode. So I asked Jamie this morning via a very early text to rank the top 5 cookbooks she had at her house or that have influenced her throughout her career and that inevitably came back with this long multiple text uh sort of diatribe of like how can I pick 5 and there's so many um but I asked him like 5 cookbooks that you know every young cook should strongly look at and I think that we have probably five for each person that's different because mine might be more savory focused and I would assume Jamie's maybe has more of a baking and pastry emphasis, but I could be wrong. So uh, I guess we're going to find out. So uh, a couple ground <laughs> I know, rules. I will say
0: I, uh, I did not do a good job of narrowing it down to five. Uh, my list I has nine books on it right now. So I guess we'll see how this goes.
1: <laughs> right. So a couple ground rules. Okay. So we're going to start number five, or in your case, number like 925. Um, and then we're <laughs> going to count down getting to the most influential. And so just to put some... Oh right man, fast. you're bringing
0: this on me. I was not prepared for this.
1: Okay. So we're going to put some parameters. Okay. So it's five, four, three, two, one. And of those nine, I only want five. So please uh, do some last minute uh, sorting. And then I wanted to frame this is what was the most influential to you and slash whatever young cook should have. And if we have to revisit cookbooks down the road, I feel like there's endless things to talk about. So, um, we'll just go. Do you want to start, Jamie, or do you want me to? Oh
0: my gosh. Uh, why don't? Oh, I'm sitting here looking at my books. Now I'm like, I'm like sweating. I feel the pressure now. It just has to be really good
1: this is so great because normally you 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 surprise me with questions and this was something that I thought um would be really easy so I'm glad you're sweating because it makes me feel really like victorious
0: uh my books I I just want to say I have a lot of cookbooks I cookbooks for me were something when I was in school they were they were my life because back when I was a student the internet was like just kind of a thing it wasn't really taking off like It's not like it was today, and I know that makes me sound like I'm ancient, but it was different, and books were my life. I lived on them. I needed to have every book that came out by, like, every author, anything to do with cooking and specifically pastry, and I – so they're all so special to me, and I can – I look at them and I can think about where I was when I got it or what I was thinking when I first looked through it or how it influenced my career. So it's really hard to just pick five because they all hold a really special place to me. But we can
1: revisit this too. We don't have to just pick just, five. We can always come back and have cookbooks number two. Um, oh,
0: I know. I, now,
1: I think that you're, what you said is more common than people think though, because I think anyone who really is in love with food, or or does this for a living and takes it seriously and has like that quote unquote passion has a weird obsession with cookbooks because yes, there was not as much information available as easily when potentially me and you were coming up. But I also think it's such a good thing to collect because, you know, cookbooks are timeless and you always want to be able Mm -hmm. to look back and see what people were doing at a certain point in history. I just think it's the internet will never provide the sort of like depth that you can get by really diving into a cookbook so, all right so i will start now let's just figure this out so i'm going to start <laughs> and my number five and this is a little bit personal because i feel like this is something i used almost every day in the restaurant just as a sort of barometer or like a checkpoint to kind of make sure that i was sort of on par with where i should be heading and if you um If you recall, so the restaurant that I ran in D.C. was contemporary Latin American. So um, I had to use a lot of resources to sort of get my mind around those flavor profiles. So the book I have in front of me, and this could be anything by this author, and I, I strongly recommend people pick this up if they're in any interest in cooking Latin American food well. Is one plate at a time by Rick Bayless. I think that anything by Bayless in general is is solid, and you you really can't go wrong. But I think that this provides not only a uh, a really well written recipe selection from Mexico, but also a lot of backstories to go with those recipes and and sort of why people do the things they do. And I think that's one thing that Rick has been really great at is making sure that he provides context to go along with his with his recipes. I like that. All right, number five for
0: you. I know. Oh, I was. I'm sorry. While you were talking, I was writing. I was trying to rank them because I don't. I don't like this ranking system.
1: All right, flip a coin, Jamie. Let's go.
0: All right, all right. Number five for me is going to be Elaine Ducasse Grand Livre de Cuisine. Mm -hmm. The but the pastry one. So he, he does have. He does have two. He does have a savory one and a pastry one. And this one's huge for me because it one it's classic. And two, it's kind of stayed with, it was one of the first big, huge book purchases that I, that I made. And it stayed, it stayed with me through my career. I remember looking at it in college and being really inspired. I remember looking at it at my first jobs. Um, So it stayed with me, but everything is super classic in it. And you just, you just can't, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong.
1: That so reminds me of another book that was on my, like six, seven, eight, nine, um, which is Cooking Through the Seasons by Jean-Louis Paladin. And I, and I, cause it is classic, but I, it didn't make my list. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that, but I snuck it in. So if you're interested in classics <laughs> tapering, look into that. Okay. My, that is an awesome choice, by the way. I think that that is a fantastic book. Um, my number four is I actually have two books that kind of fit this category. And it's something that I became interested in, uh, as a young sort of cook when I was a sous chef and eventually taking over. Running a kitchen is the ability to use everything on the animal, and I think mm-hmm. that the nose, the tail, the stem, the seed, like that—that that sort of total utilization, uh, especially with emphasis on food waste—is is still extremely relevant. And I think there's a lot of books out there that that really do this serve uh, do a really good service to this area. But one of the ones I picked up really young, and it's a small book, probably I don't know, 200 pages. Um, is The Whole Beast by Fergus Henderson. And I think that, you know, for those who don't know Fergus, like, I don't know him personally, but um, he really started, like, this movement. And, like, you know, I know we've been eating the whole animal for for centuries, but this guy in a very, very small restaurant in London uh, called St. John's did amazing, very simple work highlighting the entire animal. So um, I think this you know, some of his his bone marrow is iconic. And if you you look at, like, just a parsley salad with roasted bone marrow, something that has become sort of a a, a tradition or or, or a very popular dish on many menus, it really started with this guy. And I think that there's a lot of people that maybe don't know him or know what he's about. So uh, really approachable book. Recipes are super simple. You might have to look up a couple conversions because it's written in very sort of, uh, authentic Londonese, which is maybe not the right way to put that, but um, it's definitely a great book to kind of understand where this um, whole movement of knows the tale started. And uh, one book that I've, I, I I read to this day.
0: Number four is going to be number okay. Number four here we are. Number four is going to be frozen desserts by Francisco Magoya. Um, Francisco Magoya has, uh, three or four books out now and all of his books are so Mm -hmm. educational. Mm -hmm. There's so much content in them. There's so much you can learn from them that I, I love all the books, but specifically I love frozen desserts, uh, because one, I love to make ice cream and two, it was his first book. And it's honestly my favorite. I think the desserts and the recipes he has in there are again they're very classic and they're timeless but they're solid and he really teaches you in his books he teaches you about how to come up with formulas the proper percentages and I love all the education he's providing and it's not just a pretty book with pretty pictures it does have both of those things but it's also really educational um, he also it. has The Elements of Dessert, which is also really great. He has The Modern Cafe. He has a chocolate book. Uh, he just came out with a bread book. Uh, so definitely anything by him, I highly recommend, but specifically Frozen Desserts and Elements of Desserts. Those are kind of like tied for me. But Frozen Desserts, number, number his number one book um, for me. All
1: right, number three. And this is a little bit basic. So hopefully no one out there is sort of judging me on this, but this is one of the first cookbooks I ever bought or I actually received it as a gift. And you know, it's not as praised as some other books out there. It wasn't written by any sort of famous chef, but I strongly believe that this is a book that every person, whether you are a professional cook, a home cook, someone who never cooks, but might have to cook on occasion should have. And it's the joy of cooking. I think that regardless of who you are, this book has everything in it. And if you ever need to make something, um, you know, on the fly, as the, as the saying goes, this book is a great sort of just reference to kind of remind you of really where you need to be heading. And I'll give you a good example. So this morning we had a friend come over for breakfast and, you know, I didn't want to have um, a big meal because we didn't have a lot of food in the house to begin with. So I was like, oh, I'll just make some blueberry muffins. I made blueberry muffins a bunch, but the ratio is not something that I have in my brain. I popped open the joy of cooking. I got some basic numbers and I was able to put it together and they came out pretty good, which I think is something that we should all have at our disposal is a book or a reference guide that can kind of get you through the majority of cooking tasks. And that's why Mm -hmm. I love the joy of cooking.
0: Yeah, that's a great one as well. I I would agree with all of that. I think. If you're talking like basic cooking methods, basic baking methods, you really can't go wrong with The Joy of Cooking.
1: And there's a lot of books on the list that we're not going to identify today that people would probably be like, why isn't that book on, on on his list or her list? And I think that there are certain cookbooks out there, and The Joy of Cooking might even fall into this, although it's a little bit more pedestrian, um, that are almost like prerequisites to getting to a, a true top five. Because these books are what influences or what influence us. And what we use on maybe a daily basis or what we did use maybe when we were in restaurants or or whatever. But Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Chow, Escoffier, um, Robuchon. Uh, these are all books that you, you, you need to have. But they are almost not on my list because it's assumed that they're the most important. These are the people that really laid the groundwork for cooking uh, and for cookbooks to be written. So I'm not identifying them because they're secretly my, like, sort of prerequisite or precursor. You have to use those before you can even get to the top five. So a little bit uh, just to throw out there.
0: Right. And I was going to say, too, like, books are very personal to people. Like, like you heard at the beginning, I have a hard time narrowing this down to only five books, but it's very personal. And as I sit here in front of my bookcase, when we're recording this, looking at all of my books, I... I love them all for different reasons. They all provide different, different in- bits of information for me. But if we're taking it back to what influenced us uh, in our careers so far, and if that's kind of what we're focusing this list on, that's going to be a different list than like you know my top five favorite books or my go tos now. I think that's it's just it's just different from where I am in my career. No, that's you know a
1: great point because personal is a good word, and it's almost like you could grab any random books any five books off your shelf. And those are going to be five of the most important books you own because, you know, you buy a cookbook because you believe in what is, you know, within the pages. You're Mm -hmm. buying it not only because of who writes it, because you think there's value there. Like no one ever buys a cookbook being like, oh, I heard this kind of sucks, but I'm going to take a (laughs) shot on it anyway. No, you're buying it because you believe in what is written. So it's almost like, you know, any book could be on your list. But yeah, and these are different conversations. And I'm glad that our lists are so like uniquely different. Because I think it provides that sort of just context that hopefully we're trying to get across here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so my number three is Charlie Trotter's Desserts. Ooh. So Charlie Trotter has a whole bunch of books in his series of cookbooks. I have the dessert one, obviously. And this one, I... I I love I love still to this day I utilize recipes out of it. It was with me when I was doing some of my very first competitions and it influenced my competition desserts. I think the some of the flavor combos were just starting to get a little bit out there which as we all know savory sweet um and strange flavor combos are kind of something I really love and I think some of the flavor combos that are presented in that book are are on that line and The recipes are very solid and they're these, none of these are super modern or utilizing any like modern techniques or gastronomy, things like that. These are like solid foundations and I appreciate that in a dessert. And I think that this book really offers that. There's every, everything is in this book and I think it's definitely my go-to still from way back until today. It's still with me, something I reference all the time.
1: And, and that's so important because, I mean, Trotter was such a, like, sort of trendsetter and he paved the way for so much. And all of the people that we've mentioned so far, from Bayless to Cost to, to Henderson mm-hmm. to, to Trotter, with the exception of, like, the joy of cooking, like, these were all chefs that no one questions. Were, like, experts were masters of their craft, um, you know, they may have had some personality challenges, like, Char- I'm not, you know, the late Charlie Trotter was definitely not the most likable person on the line, but, you know, there was no denying the fact that he did some really great things for this industry. And I think that his contribution to a more simplistic yet elegant approach is something that, you know, resonates today, even as food becomes more and more complicated and more and more, um, unique and experiential and, and just indifferent. I think that he will always be the person, whether it's for savory or sweet, that uh, is remembered for sort of like paving the way.
0: Right. I and when I was so I worked in Chicago and when I was in Chicago, his restaurant was still one of the one of the top fine dining restaurants uh, to go to. And I think he kind of paved the way for fine dining. And I think this book is showcasing the very beginning of what fine dining became. At one point, when it was at its high, really in the like early two thousands,
1: kind of even the late even the late nineties. I mean, it was it was before my time. It was before my time. Like Charlie Trotter was incredibly relevant when I was coming up, but he he made the splash before I was um, really on the scene, and I think that that was um, something that influenced a lot of the people that, in turn, like were my direct. You know role models and influences because they did pick up so many of the great things that he offered.
0: Right, and just to clarify too, this book, even though it's called Charlie Trotter's Desserts, it is written in part by his pastry chef at the time, who was Michelle uh, Gayer, and so it's not just Charlie, but also her spin on desserts too. Love it. So I think it's important to note that she was a huge influence in this in this book.
1: All right. So second. From the top for me. And, again, these are all very debatable. But it's something that, again, I used almost every day in the restaurant just as a checkpoint. It kind of piggybacks off of the Fergus Henderson uh, nose-to-tail thing. But I just think it's such a great sort of book for getting people started in sausage making. And it's Charcuterie by Michael Roman, who is, you know, uh, an author, Mm a culinary author extraordinaire. But I think that this book was very approachable. And most importantly, the recipes worked. And it was something that if you wanted to get started in making sausages or curing or any sort of, you know, that charcuterie work, uh, it was a great kind of introduction to that Um and I, I use it all the time in the restaurant. We started making sausages in the early days when I took over Saba because it was, A, a way more affordable option than buying them. And also there was that pride associated with it, too, that you're making something and you're taking the time to, to see it through to the end. And ultimately, the guest is going to sort of uh, reap the benefits of that. So Charcuterie by Michael Ruman, solid, solid book.
0: And I really think any of his books are solid. Um, I know we're going to yeah. go off. Off here, but he also has that book ratio. And I think that that that's yeah, it's such a good book. Any of his books are amazing. Uh, Absolutely.
1: So when we uh, in the bachelor's program for the culinary arts at, at Johnson and Wales, that's one of the books that is like strongly recommended reading or, or, or purchase it because you can have that in your back pocket. And again, just like that, The Joy of Cooking, it's a lot more compressed, but it's like, it's, oh, you need pizza dough. You need, you know, any sort of rice measurement. It's just—it's right there and it shows you a, a really, really legitimate ratio of how to sort of start balancing uh, ingredients. So I, yeah, I agree. That book is fantastic. And also he just came out with another uh, awesome one called Scratch, which I have not had the time to dive into yet, but I, uh, it is by far on my list.
0: Oh, nice. All right. Number number two, two. Yep. Number two for me is going to be The Secrets of Baking by Sherry Yard. And now Sherry Yard is an amazing pastry chef. Her resume is so, so impressive. And she actually has two books. I love them both. She has The Secrets of Baking and she has Desserts by the Yard. Desserts by the Yard came out, um, I'm going to say like 2008, 2009-ish, because I was working at the hotel and my pastry chef would use that book all the time. But The Secrets of Baking specifically is one that I love because it talks a lot about the family tree of pastry and how these master techniques that you learn can can help you to create multiple... Recipes, once you learn this one technique, for instance, uh, creme anglaise, which you might say is one of our mother sauces in pastry, Uh, creme anglaise and what you can do once you master that one technique of creme anglaise, how that can then turn into pastry cream, turn into soufflés, turn into ice cream, turn into cremeau. And she does that with a lot of things in this book. And it's really eye opening. And it was really the first time I saw the connection between savory and pastry. And between those two worlds where we can have a mother sauce or a mother technique and and build off of that. And this this book is great. It really opened my eyes to, to that world and how to kind of approach and look at things a little bit differently in the pastry world.
1: And that's an important thing is you said open your eyes. I mean, cookbooks should be inspiring. I mean, you should read a cookbook because you're trying to emulate something in that book, whether that's an actual physical recipe, maybe it's some more of a philosophy or, or or whatever. I mean, I think that if you're choosing a book that's going to be inspiring, you're choosing the right book regardless of whatever it is.
0: I think inspiring is a really great word. That's when I look at all of these books in front of me, that's why I bought all of them was I wanted to be inspired. I wanted to learn. I wanted to to recreate and That's what that's what draws me to books and the fact that you can be inspired by pictures or ideas or thoughts and learn that chef's philosophy and their techniques and how they might approach something. And I've always been about learn as much as you can from everyone. And when I don't have the ability to go out and work with all of these people, I can still get that knowledge through through their books and what they wanted to share in in that particular book that they wrote.
1: Um, okay, so number one. And now any of the other books that I listed could be interchanged with a number of books on the shelf at my house or at my office. But the one book that I, I come back to, and it's a little cliche, so bear with me, but like, I have to give it credit because I think that there is, you know, hundreds, thousands, uh, uh, or even more chefs, cooks, whatever uh you want to call them out there that would reference this book as not only maybe what inspired them to get into cooking well in, in the first place, but also helped guide them, again, from a philosophical standpoint as well. And, you know, when you start talking about like Trotter or you start talking about some of these big old names, um, you know, they were before my time. And, I, and I, I think that those people still influence me in some way. But the first book that I remember dropping big money on, and when I say big money, over $50 on a book. Uh, which is nothing these days. You can spend up to a hundred dollars. I mean, if you're buying modernist, you know, cuisine, it's you know thousands. It's, it's it's ridiculous. But I think this book is incredibly influential, which I think is something we identified as important when choosing uh, some of your favorite books. Uh, it also, no matter the day, no matter the week, the time, the decade, has remained the book that really lit a fire in me and not that I ever really cooked this style of food, but just from a, again, philosophical, um, mindset. Like I think that I have to acknowledge that the the French laundry cookbook is by far my favorite cookbook of all time, because it changed the way that books were written. Like that was the first book that kind of shifted the needle or moved the needle to this is now going to be the standard for cookbooks it's not only going to be a bunch of words on a page uh with ingredients and measurements and maybe a little story it's going to focus more on the story rather than the actual food and yes there's recipes included but you don't read that cookbook to real uh to understand how to make a salmon Riette. you read that cookbook because you want to understand why that Riette reminded thomas keller of an ice cream cone and how that really shaped you know, how he changed the world of food. And that's yeah, why I that mean, book's number one.
0: I don't think you can go wrong with any of Thomas Keller's books. I'm sitting here and I see the French Laundry. I see Bouchon. I see Under Pressure. I see Ad Hoc at Home. I see Bouchon Bakery. Um, all all lined up. And my husband's a chef as well. And I think that just goes to show you you can't go wrong with any of them. I agree with you. the The story behind it also... In the French Laundry, the pastry section is also beautiful and unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's inspiring. And to read about it and to see how they, they talk about food in that book is, I, I 100% agree with you. Um, I think also in that category would be things like three star chef from Gordon Ramsay. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I, I love that book as well as from a pastry perspective, too, as well as 11 Madison Park. Uh, also from a pastry perspective, love, love that book and for me those are kind of all in a very similar uh similar category but if we're talking number one most influential
1: oh i'm so excited to hear this uh, me, oh my me. gosh give it to me
0: <laughs> no it's so <laughs> okay i so i did these on the fly not knowing this is how we were ranking them and i this one book stop i stop making
1: excuses let's go what do you got I, number one
0: I keep, I keep going back to it for a lot of reasons. It's definitely a dated book. Um, it's definitely not new, but sweet seasons by Richard Leach. It's, it's one of the first books that really for me broke down cooking seasonally what's in season in the fall, the winter, the spring, the summer, and how you can showcase those ingredients and let ingredients speak for themselves and shine and not try to use strawberries in December. And I I appreciate that. And it was something I I never really thought about because working at a hotel right out of school and then, well, being in school, you know, in our classes, we can get strawberries all year long and we don't realize that they don't taste as delicious in December and January as they do in May and June. And having my first job out of school be a hotel where you use strawberries and raspberries all year long, having a book that broke it down and be like, no, this is what's in season in the fall. And this is what a fall dessert should be. This is what's in season in the summer. And this is what a summer dessert should be. I I think that was my, I went back to it time and time again, just to see, oh, okay, what's in season before I really got the hang of it. And and that was really when I got into restaurants, I started to get the hang of what seasonality really meant. Because in small restaurants, that's how we were cooking, we were cooking with the seasons. And I didn't realize that at the time. So having a book helped me with that. And also with the flavor combinations he use, uses in there, he does use some floral flavors, which aren't really all that popular. So being able to utilize that for flavor combinations as well. Uh yeah, so Sweet Seasons, Richard Leach. It's an oldie but a goodie. Uh I I am gonna say to anybody who loves plating as much as I do, it's not necessarily something I would take plating inspiration from, but flavors definitely. Uh plating inspiration is a whole nother category for me and would be going into probably a whole nother episode of my top books for picture plating inspiration like visually but that one well that really could
1: happen we could definitely do another yep. episode on this because we filled 30 minutes or so pretty quickly so um I mean, I haven't right. even
0: got. i haven't even gotten to the category of like flavor and like all of those educational books i mean you should literally see the list i have of like okay in an educational these are my four top like for flavor pairings and i uh, say, save more. the list. Save know, the list.
1: We are going to come back to this time and time again. <laughs> so as we wrap it up, because I think that we both um, put five awesome books out there that I think would benefit anyone who ever, um, you know, decided to open them and, and look into them. Uh, my surprise question, not really a surprise question, but like my question to end this on, because normally you, Shanghai Me, is what book we talked about things that influenced us or we've had a sort of on our shelf for a long time and we've gone back to time and time again, but you know, at some point those books were new. So my question to you is what is the most recent cookbook you bought and why?
0: Oh, in the, in the pastry world?
1: Doesn't matter. No, it can be savory.
0: Oh, okay. So, Actually, I think the most recent one I bought was savory. Yeah. All right, what was it? Well, I hold on, I'm doing a glance and seeing what the what the actual most recent one I the most recent book I got was actually just what day is today? Was this week, this past week? Um, I,
1: I like how you're taking this so seriously. You could make up anything, and no one would know the wiser. But I appreciate your honesty okay. in this situation. No, but seriously, okay. now, now <laughs> no, 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 no. Now you have to be honest. Okay, there's going to be a lie detector test that's given after this. So, what was the book you received last week?
0: Uh, it's called The Defined Dish. It's a. It's actually a cookbook. Um, we went to her book launch party here in Boston on Wednesday. I went with um, with Tao, and we. uh We got the book for going like it was was signed by the author. So that was the most recent, the most recent book I got.
1: Yeah. Anything else come to mind that like maybe you purchased or, you know, something that would be a reason you bought it. And I like the fact that you're going kind of savory on this.
0: Um, what did I get for Christmas? I definitely got some books for Christmas. I'm actually going to go into my Amazon. (laughs) My Amazon orders to see what's left.
1: Right. So, one as you're looking that watch. up and frantically Googling um, or Amazon searching, so the book I got, and again, this is a holiday present from uh, one of my brother in laws, is uh, I Love New York by Daniel Hume. So, you mentioned 11 Madison Park earlier, mm-hmm. and I, that book is great, although I feel it may, may, it's it's almost unapproachable. Um, in the sense that that's not something you're cooking every day. You're using it because you want inspiration, seasonality. But if you have the opportunity, I would strongly look at their new book, uh, I Love New York, because it is all about using what is in season, using what is local to your own region. So in this case, New York State. Um, and not only is it amazing visually, but the recipes are legit and they work and it's just, It's unbelievable. Plus, weird note, and this has nothing to do with the actual book. The cover is like a padded cover. So it's just, it's so nice to feel. But it's, it's one of those books that you should definitely check out because it has such a wide variety. It goes alphabetical. So it starts, you know, A, B, C, D, and it goes through all the ingredients that they use. So you'll get to L and there'll be three recipes that use lettuce and you'll get the lobster and there'll be clams and, and, and then there's pork. And it's just two or three recipes under each letter using one ingredient and one specific farmer, which I think is, again, like just, that's how cookbooks are being written now. Um, They're more holistic, which I think is awesome. So that is my most recent book. Uh, Again, it was a gift. So thank you. But um, it's something that I am just like, I cannot get my, my, my head out of. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Oh,
0: nice. I, yeah, I'll have to look at that. My most recent pastry book purchase turns out was like two and a half years ago, but it was, <laughs> um, it was, hello, my name is ice cream and it's by Dana Cree. And it's about the art and science of ice cream. And it's a great book. Love, love that book. Um, so that was my last pastry book purchases.
1: I do love yes. books that are not, I mean, I, sp- I spoke to like, you know, I love New York is very, broad, but I do love books that really will take one thing and just like dive into it because that's how, you know, I remember a book and I I think I picked this up from another podcast and I bought it, but it's called Seductions of Rice. And like (laughs) if you're, it sounds a little like creepy or awesome, but like if you're, if you really want to learn proper rice cooking, like this is a great place to start. And I think that that's also a whole other category or genre of cookbooks, the ones that dive into specific ingredients that, um, that we could talk about another time.
0: Oh, for sure. And you know what? I was just thinking, as I said, my last, my most recent cookbook purchases have actually been savory cookbooks, but my last pastry book was two and a half years ago. And I think that goes to show that maybe our, our industry is slowing down a little bit with cookbook production as far as our pastry books go, or maybe I'm just not as aware as I used to be, but there haven't been as many that I've been excited about to come out in the pastry side that I have been in the savory side. I I agree with that. Yeah. There's at least four or five books that I just scrolled through in my Amazon purchase history about, you know, it's all savory cooking until I got to my last, my last pastry one. So that makes me a little bit bit sad, but there's also... On the pastry side, there's also lots of publications and magazines that are coming out uh, more frequently, and I do keep up with those, but I don't really consider those books.
1: Well, I mean, that might just be a product of our environment, too, how quick it moves and how, things, how fast things are created. So, um, But a call to all pastry chefs, get more books going because Jamie needs to buy some more. Um, okay, <laughs> so here's that's, the deal. That's
0: just, that's just what I need.
1: All right, well, that was a quick... Uh, thirty nine minutes or so. So, uh, we're gonna end it here. But stay tuned, and we'll revisit cookbooks, and we have a bunch of other fun episodes coming down the line. So, um, thank you everyone for listening. Jamie, anything else?
0: Yeah, I mean, as always, we want to give a shout out to Matt Burns who does all of the music for our podcast, and Casey for all of her technical support and that she offers us. And we want to thank you guys for listening. We want to encourage you to reach out to us if you have any topics you want us to cover. Yes. Top top five, maybe that you want to hear from us. uh, Maybe top five restaurants, top five things we cook at home, whatever you want to know. So you can get in touch with us either on Instagram at Culinary Now Podcast, or you can email email us at podcast at jwu.edu and you know we'd love would love to hear from you. You can also feel free to give our podcast a rating or an, and a review that definitely helps us get our podcast out to more people.
1: Absolutely. So guys, hopefully we hear from you soon. Uh, but if not, well uh, you'll hear from us. So we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Talk
0: to you later. Bye.
1: We're the And we have